The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Monday morning, December the 6th, 2021. It is 7.02 in the beautiful city of Tucson and the beautiful state of Arizona. And we are live right now on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. You can also tune in via the live stream if you're uh, not anywhere to uh, receive a radio signal you know, in the office or whatever, if you just prefer to stream it that way, you can go to ESPNTucson.com. Just click on the Listen Now, and uh, you will be streaming it live. And uh, thank you for joining us on this Monday. It is a very, very busy Monday, and uh, we have plenty of local stuff to get into today. Of course, we are Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Glad to be here with you every single weekday from 7 to 9. So, Plenty of, of local stuff to get into today. Obviously, a just an extremely busy weekend in sports, specifically in football. You had the Pac-12 championship game on Friday night, the game that was, once again, over at halftime as Utah just smacked Oregon around up and down the field. I expected Oregon to put up a little more of a fight than they did. Uh, obviously, you know, by my... My prediction of the uh, the score for that game, what was it, 31-27? I think I had Utah winning that game. I thought it was going to be a lot closer than it was. I thought Anthony Brown maybe had taken a uh, a step in the in the direction of confidence after their win in the Civil War game over Oregon State. But all of that was wrong, and we'll get into part of the reason why I believe that Oregon performed the way that they did on Friday night in the in the Pac-12 championship game. But congratulations to Kyle Winningham and the Utah Utes, and they are headed to the Rose Bowl to take on Ohio State, which many people are considering the third best bowl game this bowl season. I, I, I find it's really, really difficult for me to argue with that. I mean, I, I, I can't find, you know, of the 44 bowl games that are going to be happening, uh, I th- I think there are two, maybe three, that are better than this Rose Bowl. I think this Rose Bowl is going to be fantastic. I'm really looking forward to that Utah-Ohio State game. Oh, the Rose Bowl, al- I always love the Rose Bowl. It's just got that mystique and history about it. I love watching the Pac-12 fight the Big Ten. It's just been that way. It's such a great tradition. Obviously, it's it's a, a, a golden egg in the eyes of Arizona Wildcat fans. So seeing the Rose Bowl be hopefully a competitive game this year, Utah plays a lot like Michigan does. Very, very similar scheme, similar personnel. Uh, Utah's linebackers are two of the best in the the entire country. Uh, So this should be an interesting matchup. For the uh, for the Rose Bowl, we'll obviously talk plenty about bowl games as uh, we get closer to uh, to those New Year's Six bowls and some of the other bowl games. Well, we'll be we'll be discussing those because all of the bowl games are set. There are three bowl games being played in the state of Arizona. There's the Fiesta Bowl, which has number five Notre Dame versus Oklahoma State, the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, which was 
formerly the Insight Bowl way, way back in the day, and it's its, it's creation. That's got 6-6 uh, six and six West Virginia taking on 8-4 and four Minnesota, so a little Big 12, Big 10 matchup there. And the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl. I think we've got a real fun matchup uh, there in Tucson for that game. That game is going to be in the uh, the afternoon, of course, on New Year's Eve. That's got 7-5 and five Boise State taking on 8-4 and four Central Michigan. I'm looking forward to that one. I think that's going to be a good one. Uh, I like that matchup. A couple of, of uh, teams with really, really strong fan bases, so should be a, a good crowd there at Arizona Stadium for the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl. We'll talk more about those and all the other bowls coming up. Uh, we'll have our big bonanza that I do every single year, and we'll discuss all those things. Plenty of other things happened in college football over the weekend as, my goodness, um, <laughs> where do I begin with the, with the college football, uh, the, 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 the conference championship games that occurred over the weekend? I, I, I mean, let's just begin and end with the SEC game. I mean, really, that was the game that most people were interested in as – after Oklahoma State lost, and we'll talk about them a little bit later on, after Oklahoma State lost and gave up their chance to compete for their first-ever CFP bid, it was all about what was going to happen with the SEC. If Georgia won in decided fashion, people were pretty galvanized in the thinking that Alabama would be knocked out of the top four, and then chaos would ensue because you would have Georgia, Michigan, most likely Cincinnati, who was winning at the time and, uh, of course, went on to win that game decidedly over Houston. Good game early, and Cincinnati blew their doors open uh, in, the, in the third quarter there. Uh, so Cincinnati was going to take that third spot. Then who was going to take the fourth spot? It all depends on what your criteria is for earning a CFP. Now, I have, I have pretty strict criteria. Uh, I'll be honest with you. First of all, this is going to be a very, very unpopular opinion. I believe that the CFP should be for Power 5 teams only. I just, I, I know that that these types of, you know, upsets happen, and I was watching the Appalachian State-Michigan game 13 years ago. I remember exactly where I was and exactly what I was doing when that game happened. I've seen tons and tons of group of five schools beat power five schools i know it happens all the time it doesn't happen to elite teams in elite bowl games with chances to win a national championship we're going to find out we're going to see what happens this year but i've just always been a a staunch uh opponent of having power five schools in or a group of five schools in the cfp i would be totally fine if there were two playoffs if there were a Power 5 CFP playoff, and a group of five Power 5 or a CFP playoff. I'd be fine with that. I just don't think, again, very, very unpopular opinion. And when Cincinnati gets into the Big 12, they can go ahead and start competing in that level. But for right now, I believe I'm maybe, I'm, maybe it's an elitist type of thing. I just, I just feel, and I've, I've felt this way all along, that, that the, the CFP is for Power 5 teams only. My other real hard line for um for uh, CFP recognition or, or you know admission I guess would be that you have to be a conference champion. So Georgia, okay, sitting 
in the in the number three spot right now. I I just I, I it's it's still stick it in my craw. But then you're like, okay, would you really put in Baylor over Georgia? And the answer is no. Georgia's obviously the better team. They're they're a better team than Baylor. Uh, it doesn't. I don't think it takes a whole lot of of watching the games to understand that. So I'm okay with it. Uh, you know, it's I, again, I'm I'm a pretty hard opponent of of non conference champions getting into the CFP, which is also why I don't believe Notre Dame should ever be in it. Because look, pick a conference. Go and compete in there for nine games a season. Also, by the way, SEC, go ahead and up your game to nine games a season, and then let's see what happens. But Notre Dame needs to pick a conference and get in there. They didn't play a conference championship game. They didn't win any conference to to speak of. So I don't consider Notre Dame eligible for the CFP. I don't care how good or how how many teams that they've beaten or who they beat. I just don't. I don't consider them eligible. Again. I know this is probably a very, very unpopular opinion, but it's it's my hard stance. Now, I am okay with Georgia being the number three, I guess, team in the in the CFP because they were able to prove it all year long that they were a dominant team. I mean, they they didn't just eke by team. Alabama eked by several of their opponents this year. They barely beat a, a Florida team who was floundering ended up firing their head coach, was without two of their best players on offense that day, gave up 200 and, what was it, 292 yards of rushing to Florida in that game, barely beats Florida. They had to struggle. They struggled against Ole Miss. They, strugg- they struggled in a ton of games to win games this year. Georgia did not. Georgia beat everybody they played. It seemed like 45-7. to seven. It seemed like they beat everybody uh, by the same score. They crushed teams. Okay. They were the most dominant team until they played Alabama on Saturday night. I still think Georgia deserves a shot to win the national championship because of their resume, their body of work, and I do believe that they are a better team, and, and ultimately that's what I want to see. I just want to see the four best teams in the country competing for the playoff. So when it all boils down to it, if it were if, if I were in, on in uh, you know in the in the committee in that boardroom in the committee and I was voting on the four CFP teams I would have voted Michigan one I would have voted uh, I would have voted Alabama two Cincinnati three Georgia four and the reason I would put Georgia four is because you don't deserve a top two or three or one obviously uh, seating if you've not only just lost your most recent game you've played, but you're also not a conference champion. So I feel like Georgia should have been the number four seed. Cincinnati being an unbeaten conference champion, regardless of the fact whether it's a group of five, they are an undefeated 13-0 and conference champion, and their body of work looked pretty good by the end of the year, and I think most people would consider them one of the top six teams in the country. But as an unbeaten conference champion, the only one out there, they get moved up to the three spot, Alabama and Michigan, the top two teams in the country. What I didn't want to see and and what the committee obviously decided on really quickly was that there was not going to be a rematch, an immediate rematch of the SEC championship game. Nobody wanted to see Alabama play Georgia 
in the semifinal round of the CFP. So one of two things had to happen. Michigan either had to be number one with Georgia number four, so that those two would play each other as a 1-4 seed, and then Alabama would play Cincinnati as the 2-3, or it had to turn out the way that they did vote, which was Alabama 1, Cincinnati 4, Michigan 2, Georgia 3. So the potential for an SEC championship rematch for the national championship is absolutely in play. Now, I sent out a few text messages. I did not put this out there on Twitter because I am not a conspiracy theorist. I don't want anyone to believe or think that I am because I certainly am not. I just, as I'm watching things develop, my mind begins to wander at times. Georgia did not play well. They weren't tackling. They weren't getting any pressure on Bryce Young, who had a remarkable day. They weren't getting any pressure on him. Somehow that Alabama offensive line, who had completely forgotten how to protect their quarterback over the last five weeks of this season, and I mean five, a good solid five weeks of him being running for his life and not having any time in the pocket to decide on where he's going to throw the football. It, if you watch Alabama football this year, you know that over the last five weeks it, it's been a real, real problem for them. So somehow, miraculously, Georgia is all of a sudden unable to get any kind of pass rush, whether it be rushing four, five, whether they blitz. They couldn't get anything going against Bryce Young. He had all day to throw. He had to scramble a few times, but he threw a lot of, a lot of passes on Saturday night, and he had all night to throw the football. Their corners, who had been locked down corners all season long, all of a sudden couldn't cover anybody from Alabama, whether it was wide receivers, tight ends, running backs coming out of the backfield. They couldn't cover anybody. Now, again, I am not a conspiracy theorist, but my mind begins to wander, and you have to think, hmm, that's interesting. That's thought-provoking. The SEC is going to make somewhere in the realm of an extra 6 to $9 million by having that second team in the Final Four. It's a good chunk of change that gets divided up amongst all of the member institutions of the SEC, but nonetheless, I'm sure everyone, Vanderbilt, would love to have those extra $500,000. I'm sure that you know guys like Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach would love to have an extra half million to try to go and recruit or try to keep their top assistant from taking another job somewhere. That's a lot of money. And if those two teams meet in the championship game, oh, my goodness. Now we're talking lots and lots of dough. Now, I'm not saying Georgia lost that game on purpose because they wanted the SEC to make more money and have their member institutions be able to share in the wealth. but. It certainly, it it just certainly seems everything is turning out rosy for the SEC, and it happens an awful lot, an awful lot. And again, I, I'm not going to put Baylor in over Georgia. It's just not going to happen. As much as I like Dave Aranda, as much as I re- had respect for the Big Twelve this year, it was kind of an up and down year, obviously, for the Big Twelve. Texas and Oklahoma, Texas was bad. Oklahoma was middling. Oh, Iowa State was was a highly ranked preseason team. They didn't perform well offensively. They couldn't move the ball. Brees Hall was he just disappeared this year, surprisingly. 
So it was uh, topsy-turvy. You had the best two teams were Oklahoma State and Baylor. Nobody expected that, especially with the defense that was being played in that conference. Very impressive. I'm impressed with, with Baylor. I'm impressed with Dave Aranda. I think that he and Jim Harbaugh should be the two finalists for the National Coach of the Year, and I don't think there's any debate about about either of those two guys winning that uh, winning that job. I don't think I don't think you can give the award to anyone else other than those one of those two guys. The job that they did this year, holy smokes, nobody expected anything from those guys. I uh, I posted something on Twitter. There was a receipt that was cashed over the weekend when uh, when Michigan won the Big Ten championship. And there was a uh, uh, a guy who I, I think he he covers Michigan football probably because he was had a lot of Michigan tweets, and he posted ESPN's FPI or whatever it's called uh, their their power index whatever analytics they use to rank teams and how strong and good they are and whether they have a chance to win ESPN in their preseason FPI said, and this is literally, said that Michigan had a 0.0% chance of making the college football playoff. That's that's, bottom line, 0%. There was no way in hell that Michigan was going to make the CFP. No chance. They had 0.0, not 0.1% chance. Like, okay, maybe if things go right for them, they catch lightning in a bottle, something happens in a fluke game against the – no, 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 0.0%. How can you give any team a 0.0% chance of making the playoff? I just, so I kind of blasted ESPN's FPI, and I just hope we never have to mention it again. I don't mention it on my show except for this one moment where I'm just like, this is just ridiculous. It just, it just needs to go away. It's wrong 90% of the time. Notice how I didn't say 100% of the time because there are no absolutes in sports. So lots to get into today. As I mentioned, uh, you know, college football, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more college football later on. We've got Matt Moreno of Go AZ Cats and the Rivals and Yahoo Network. He's our recruiting insider. We're going to talk with him at 8.30 today to talk just what Jed Fish was doing, he and his staff were doing over the last three days and flooding the state of Texas with offers, with scholarship offers. Uh, just an incredible – he just he went in there with a stack of papers and was just like, all right, here, you get one, and you get an offer, and you get an offer. It's like Oprah handing out keys to a, uh, to a new Pontiac. You get an offer, you get an offer, and you get an offer. You're a sophomore? You get an offer. We'll talk with uh, Matt Moreno about that and Jed's strategy in uh, flooding the state of Texas right now with uh, with offers. Uh, we'll also talk about the uh, the Arizona Wildcats basketball team. We'll come up, come back with that uh, after the break because they had a very impressive victory in Corvallis yesterday in their first road game of the season and their first Pac-12 game of the season. We'll talk about that. The NFL yesterday was a complete I, – I, I, I just – I can't – I can't pick games anymore, apparently. I I guess I'm just done um, being any kind of a prognosticator when it comes to the NFL. Hell, when it comes to college football, too. I didn't do well in my college football picks either. Uh, Yesterday was just a a strange day 
The Lions get their first win of the season. Last night's game was a complete disaster. I, I, you know, just I shouldn't say a complete disaster. And I, when I say last night, I mean the uh, the Pittsburgh Baltimore game, not the the Denver Kansas City game was snooze fest. God, it was terrible. But the the uh, that Baltimore Pittsburgh game, like what what in the world is going on? Just craziness. At least the Cardinals showed up for their game. And they went and beat beat on the uh, Chicago Bears there in Chicago on the road. We'll talk about some of the things that they uh, the Cardinals have now checked off the list in the world of NFL history uh, following that game. Uh, we also have the Dean's List and the Dunce List coming up at 8 o'clock. You won't want to miss that. My heroes and zeros from the weekend that was. And, gosh, who knows what else there could be. Plenty of other things coming up here on uh, on this edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Join Spears and Ali tonight for some Monday Night Football as they broadcast their show live from the famous Sam's at River in La Cholla. It's a clean and friendly spot to uh, check out the game, so bring your family, bring your friends, come down to watch the broadcast, interact with the boys, get yourself some swag from the, uh, from the ESPN Tucson promotions team, and then stick around and enjoy some Monday Night Football. Going to be a good game tonight. At least a great matchup. I, I can't. I can't guarantee a good game, but I will predict it's a great matchup. That's for damn sure. As the Bills and Patriots uh, clashing here in on Monday Night Football, they got uh, plenty of TVs, lots of beers on tap, and tasty food. Come check them out tonight from three to six. Then stick around for the Monday Night Football game at the famous Sam's at River and Lachoya with your friends Spears and Ali. More after this. You're listening to the Jeff Dean Show here on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. ESPN Tucson reminds you that the 51st annual Winter Street Fair going on this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the 4th Avenue Street Fair is from 10 a.m. till dusk all three days, and it's uh, they got something for everyone. There's, of course, holiday shopping from the merchants and the artists that are there. There's plenty of mouth-watering fair food, local entertainment, family activities. You can bring a letter to Santa, even to Santa himself, who will be making an appearance there this weekend at the 4th Avenue Street Fair. For more details, check out ESPNTucson.com. So the Wildcats were up in Corvallis, as Ben Matherin would say. It's uh, kind of like Canada, <laughs> which I thought was was uh, was pretty funny, and that's maybe that's why he's so comfortable up there because uh, all that guy does is score like a million points every time he plays in Corvallis. He's, he's been there twice and has uh, he scored thirty two last year in their dominant victory over uh, over the Beavs and scored twenty nine yesterday in another dominant performance by Benedict Matherin. Now, the Wildcats, who were uh, put to the test, in uh, like, kind of like a double test yesterday, right? It was their first true road game and their first conference game all in one, and they passed both with flying colors. And it was Benedict Matherin leading the way, scoring 29 points in just 30 minutes. He was 11 of 18 from the field, 4 of 9 from beyond the arc. I... I, I one of those shots, I always hate to, to include those because one of those was a half-court heave at halftime. Uh, so if you take that out, he was 11 of 17 from the field, 4 of 8 from beyond the arc. He also grabbed six rebounds, but his highlight dunk from yesterday's game 
in a it was, what was it eighty two to fifty eight or something like that at that point. Wildcats were up by twenty four. They were rolling. They get a a turnover and Ben just takes off. And I mean, takes off. He's hauling. I mean, it's a twenty four point game. He's been out there for twenty seven minutes and he just darts down the uh, down the court. And I believe it was Kerr who ended up with the ball that outlet it, uh, did the outlet pass to Benedict Matherin, who, <laughs> I, and I, I still, I'm still not quite sure how he got there with these moves and in the two and a half steps that it requires to stay under the traveling violation. He went, he caught the ball at the elbow, the right elbow, right around the three-point line, dribbles once, was met there by a defender. Then takes the ball, takes a step with his left, takes the ball, goes around the back, puts it in his right hand, takes another step, and goes airborne. And throws it down in one of the most absolutely incredible, dazzling, miraculous, amazing, awesome, thunderous, I mean, insert any kind of adjective you want there. But his one-on-one breakaway dunk was absolutely sick. I mean, that thing was filthy. Beavers take a timeout. They're like, "All right, we we can't we we can't do this." Like Wayne Tinkle was just like, "I can't I can't do this anymore." Somebody somebody grab that guy and throw him out in the snow. Uh, we we can't. I'm so he's got to be so sick of seeing Benedict Matherin. <laughs> I mean, poor Wayne. God, that guy has just torched his defenses. Now, the the all timeout. Justin Kyer goes running up to Benedict Matherin and is like, "Are you real?" <laughs> that was uh, that was just awesome. And then look, Ben is receiving a ton of praise today, rightfully so. I saw a uh, a tweet from John Rothstein that basically said. If you can find me a better guard in the country than Benedict Matherin right now, I'm taking I'm taking suggestions. Uh, I mean, he has just been so so good, and he's getting better. And the more I watch him play, the more he matures, the better he gets at recognizing this offense, playing in this offense as opposed to the more set offense from last year under Sean Miller, which he was also very good in the more he reminds me of a really, really good NBA player, a young, really good young NBA player. You might have heard of him. His name's Donovan Mitchell. He reminds me so much of the spider. Uh, Like, his game, how explosive he is, how he can just get on a roll from beyond the arc, and he's one of those guys. When you watch Donovan Mitchell play for Utah, Utah can be up two. Let's just say let's just say they're up two, okay? And I've seen this happen before. I've uh, you know watching as much NBA as I do. Then Donovan Mitchell will go on a run by himself. He'll go on like an eleven to two run by himself. Like just you know he'll get an and one. He'll shoot a three. He'll get a dunk. He'll have a steal. He's just all over the place. He just he spends the next four minutes giving more energy than than most people give in an entire day and just takes over the game. All of a sudden, it's a double-digit lead before you know it. The opposing coach has to take a timeout, and now Utah's in business. Benedict Matherin's a lot of the same way. 
he reminds me so much of Donovan Mitchell. They, their games are so very similar. And the sky's the limit for this young man. I, he is just so good and so explosive. And the Wildcats are, uh, are very lucky to have him. And this will be the last year that we have him. So enjoy it while you can, Wildcat fans, because Benedict Matherin going to be a top first-round draft pick. He, he's going to go in the top. I mean, I'm not sure it's going to be lottery pick, but it's going to be real, real close. Um, if he continues this, he will be a lottery pick, guaranteed. And I think both he and Christian Coloco, if if Christian continues to defend the rim the way that he is right now and play that great high-low game, I don't know how he didn't get an assist for his pass to uh, Kerr on that three, uh, but he ended with zero assists. I still don't know how he didn't get that assist. Regardless, if he continues to, to recognize and play that high-low game as well as he has and defend the rim, he's going to be a first-round pick as well. So enjoy it while you can, Wildcat fans, because uh, they're not going to be here for long. But while they're here, try to cash it in, and hopefully the NCAA allows them to play in the postseason because the world needs to see this basketball team. All right, we're going to take a timeout when we return more on the Wildcats' win in Corvallis. You're listening to the Jeff Dean Show here on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. You know what the best gauge of determining whether you're a funny person or not is? Go on the internet and then realize that there are like 10,000 people commenting on something that are funnier than you are. (laughs) Uh, Mary and I were just laughing about this Twitter thread about a burnt pumpkin pie from Marie Callender's, and it is just, it is one laugh after another. Like, you just go to the next comment, and you're dying laughing again. And you're like, how do these people think about this kind of stuff? I used to think I was a funny person, and then the internet happened. And I was like, I am not a funny person. (laughs) I'm just not. I have my moments. Uh, I can deliver a punchline pretty well, but my goodness, people are so creative. Funny stuff. So more about the game yesterday in Corvallis. Wildcats, you know, they, they score over 90 again. They decimate an opponent again. They continue to show why they are one of the most dominant teams in the country. When you look at the, when you look at the final statistics of that game, it was just a, a complete walk by the Wildcats. And it really began and ended with the turnovers. Arizona in the game uh, for themselves, 12 turnovers, nine in the first half, a little sloppy in the first half. That's part of the reason why they were struggling a little bit. They actually found themselves in a deficit for like four minutes in the first half. So, you know, that was like, that was a little disheartening for Wildcat fans. Like, oh, we're losing to a team that's won one game this year. Um, I knew that it it wasn't going to be an issue. Wildcats were playing on the road for the first time. They just need to settle down, and it didn't take them long. It was 13-7 Oregon State, and the next thing you know, it's 18-13 Arizona, and they're off and running. Then it was 24-15. Then it was like 31-17. I'm like, all right, here we go. Now now it's on. (laughs) We We have put it into fifth gear, and we are gone. And that's kind of the way it was. But it was all about the, the, the defense for Arizona yesterday. Now, Oregon State shot the ball 
admirably. I, I would say they shot the ball pretty well. Jared Lucas specifically, he, that guy couldn't miss from, from three. Uh, you know, and Oregon State, look, to their credit, they played hard. Wayne Tinkle's teams always play hard. Always, always, always. Uh, he gets great effort out of his players. Jared Lucas couldn't miss. He scored 17 points. Warith Alatiche was his usual self, scoring 14 points, grabbing nine rebounds. Uh, but it was pretty obvious, and I won't even say pretty. It, it, was, it was patently obvious to anyone who was watching that game that there was a huge disparity in athleticism. Anytime the Wildcats got a turnover, it was a, it was a track meet down the floor, and the Wildcats won every single time. The Wildcats defense forced the Beavers into 22 turnovers, including a season-high 13 steals, which the Wildcats then converted into 27 points. 27 points off of turnovers. That does not happen, folks. Like, that, that is a, an incredible amount of points to get off of turnovers. They also had 16 fast break points, which is always nice to see, and a ton of points in the paint, which is kind of, you know, what Arizona's calling card is, is this year. When, when people, when Tommy Lloyd was announced and it was like, okay, he's coming over from Gonzaga, he basically kind of, you know, ran the scheme of that team for the last 20 years, and he really did. Don't, listen, don't believe everything that you hear. He's, he's, he was the architect of that program for quite some time. People thought, like, oh, it's just going to be run and gun. They're going to be shooting threes all over the place. No, 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 no. No. Tommy Lloyd wants high-percentage shots. He wants shots around the rim. He wants to score in the paint. You watch Gonzaga play. Gonzaga's not shooting a ton of threes. I mean, they can, uh, and they do at times, especially if they're trying to beat a zone, and they feel like they can shoot over it. They've certainly had some really, really uh, adept shooters over the last decade or, or, uh, you know, 10, 12, 15 years. But it's all about getting points in the paint for Gonzaga. It's it's movement, it's quick movement, it's movement without the ball, it's moving the ball around the perimeter, it's seeing both sides of the defense and finding the best shot for your teammates. Uh, And that's what Arizona has been doing, and they've been doing it at an extremely good level, uh, high level. They Again, like I mentioned, they scored 90 points again. uh, Fourth time, four out of seven games this year, they've scored at least 90. So extremely impressive. Now, I mentioned Benedict Matherin reminds me a lot of Donovan Mitchell, 29 points. Three other Wildcat starters were in double digits yesterday as well. Azulis Tubelis, who scored 10 points, didn't have a huge game, but was really effective. First of all, defensively, he was extremely offens- uh, 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 effective, and he was very, very efficient. Only took five shots in the field, scored on three of them, was four of five from the free throw line. Also had three assists, five rebounds. He was kind of everywhere. Only played 24 minutes. Um, but uh, I think for matchup reasons why, Oregon State had to go small a lot because they couldn't keep up with Arizona with their bigs on the floor. So uh, Tubelis had to kind of uh, sit a little bit more for some of the guards. Kerr Kresa scored 11 points. He was 4 of 12 in the field, 3 of 9 from beyond the arc. Also had five dimes in the game. Only one turnover for Kerr in 29 minutes and – uh, that was uh, honestly that was one of my worries going into this season was can Creesa dominate the point guard position minutes wise and not turn the ball over five six times a game so far he's not he's done an extremely good job 
and teams are pressuring Arizona on the ball a lot. Teams uh, have have watched Arizona as far as you know, watching them on film, scheming on how to you know how to beat Arizona. They've re- they've received a ton of full court pressure this year, more than I've seen in a long time. Usually, in, in the in the Sean Miller years, when the the teams that you would see pressure Arizona were like UCLA, Oregon would would pressure them a lot, but it was always it was always uh, conference teams. You'd never see non con teams unless that was like their deal, like their shtick was to was to run you know forty minutes of hell and uh, full court pressure, you know defense for ninety three feet and all this stuff. It, it, there was you know you would never see teams pressure the ball full court because. Sean's teams were always so good at handling the ball and beating pressure. You were just you, you were hurting yourself if you tried to pressure Sean Miller teams. Now with Tommy Lloyd's team, they're like, "Hey, we got to pressure these guys. They're going to turn the ball over," and they're not, which is which is great because that was going to be Arizona's bugaboo this year, in my opinion. Was was turning the ball over, and as I mentioned, they had twelve turnovers in the game yesterday, but only only three in the second half. Um, so very impressive from the ball handling aspect of the Wildcats. And then uh, two of those turnovers were traveling turnovers. So, again, two ball handling turnovers by the Wildcats. I don't think they had a shot clock violation yesterday. Um, And then Christian Coloco, he was solid as usual. 12 points from him, 4 of 8 from the field, 6 rebounds. Didn't have any assists. I still don't know how. He had a – it was a high-low pass. He got the ball from – I can't remember who he got the ball from – he turned around. Kerr was standing wide open. He fired the ball to Kerr. Kerr hits the three-pointer, and no assist for Christian Coloco. So I guess I guess the uh, Oregon State uh, score didn't want to give him an assist on that. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. Regardless, uh, I counted it as an assist. But uh, Christian Coloco three blocks in the game as well, showing his defensive dominance, flexing his muscle again around the uh, around the basket. And uh, so, look, a total team effort. Uh, the Wildcats bench scored 26 points yesterday, which is a great number for a collegiate bench, you know, something you always want to see uh, that, you know, as far as that goes. So, uh, look, just really pleased with the overall performance. Again, they passed two tests yesterday, their first true road test of the season and a conference game, their first conference game of the season. So very, very, very pleased with, uh, with Arizona yesterday. Now they return home to the McHale Center. They're going to be taking on unbeaten Wyoming right now. The Cowboys, 8-0, coming to McHale. So two unbeaten teams going to be going on uh, on the court there at the McHale Center. Uh, Wyoming is a very slow-paced team. Um, They shoot the ball extremely well. They're number 14 in the country in field goal percentage. Um, They're kind of small, and they're – basically like the worst team in the country in turning the other teams over. So expect Arizona to play somewhat of a, of, of a clean game, hopefully get some, uh, get some easy buckets inside by using their size as one of the largest teams, one of the tallest teams in the country, and hopefully come away with a victory. But we'll have a full preview for that uh, come Wednesday morning uh, right here on the Jeff Dean Show. As I mentioned, coming up at 8 o'clock, the Dean's List and the Dunce List, my heroes and zeros from the weekend that was, Matt Moreno, going to be joining us at 8.30 to talk Wildcat recruiting. The NFL is heading into the home stretch, and they're giving us a big Week 13 divisional matchup between the Patriots and the Bills. 
And FanDuel Sportsbook is making it even bigger because FanDuel is going to give new customers 30 to 1 odds on either team to win. That means that you can win 150 bucks by making a $5 bet. I think it's going to be a defensive struggle, but I couldn't be more wrong this weekend about stuff. But regardless, my opinion is that Belichick versus McDermott is going to be a defensive struggle. So I'm going to have an SGP with the under total points. I'm going to go Josh Allen over rushing yards, and I'm going to go with a Kendrick Bourne anytime touchdown. Now, FanDuel is sports betting made simple, hooking you up with promotions all the time. It's the number one rated sportsbook app in America, largely because it's easy to use. Their transactions are safe and secure, and when you get paid, you get paid in just less than two hours. And if you're already a FanDuel Sportsbook user, great. They're hooking you guys up with that Refer-A-Friend program where you get 50 bucks and your friend gets 50 bucks. There's tons of things going on at FanDuel Sportsbook. Always a, a great promotions happening there. So if you want to win $150 on just a $5 bet, use my promo code DEAN before tonight's matchup. And you could win that 30-to-1 odds on either team to win. But use my promo code DEAN so that they know that I sent you right here exclusively on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. 21 and over and present in Arizona. Refund is issued as non-withdrawable site credit. Expires in seven days. Max refund is $10. Restrictions apply. See terms sportsbook.fanduel.com. Same game parlays available for multiple sports on all states and mobile and web. And if you think you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342. More after this on the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Well, the college football coaching carousel goes around and around and around we go. And I'll have some more on that coming up at the top of the hour during my Dean's List and my Dunce List. But it sounds... More and more like Oklahoma is going to hire their former defensive coordinator who got run out of town, got run out of Norman uh, several years ago to, uh, and then found himself at Clemson, he, you know, and, and then, of course, winning national championships and one of the best uh, defenses in the, in the country over the last seven or eight seasons. It sounds more and more like he's going to be heading back to Norman to take the head coaching job for the Sooners. Now, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago uh, when, or maybe not a couple of weeks ago. What was I? Was I went back last week for the first? I don't even remember. It seems like forever ago, but regardless, when Lincoln Riley took the USC job, and I was giving my thoughts on who would take the Oklahoma job, I knew that Brent Venable's name would be coming up because he's a candidate for open jobs over the last couple of seasons. His name has been brought up in a, in a lot of predictions and things like that. I just didn't think he would be going back to Oklahoma. He's already been there. They, you know, they paid him to leave essentially. Um, and I just didn't, I don't think that he's got like the head coaching demeanor, you know, much like we saw with Mike Stoops at Arizona, a fiery guy, who continued to act like a defensive coordinator on the sideline when you're supposed to be a little bit more composed. The head coach, you have to deal with all of the players. You have to deal with the the officials on the field. You have to deal with the opposing head coach. I mean, there's all kinds of composure and decorum that you have to display as a head coach. You have to be a little bit more reserved, if you will. Now, at the Fiesta Bowl a couple of years ago when Clemson took on Ohio State, I was at the game, and I was walking the Clemson sideline. Phenomenal game, by the way, with, with the, the last second touchdown and all that stuff. I mean, just an amazing game. Um, but I was walking the Clemson sideline during the fourth quarter, and I, I was like, I'm just going to follow 
I'm going to follow Venables and just kind of watch him call his defense. He's a madman. Like, he's, he's a psychopath on the sidelines. He's nuts. Like, way more than Mike Stoops ever was. So <laughs> I have to wonder if uh, – look, it's, it, it'll be entertaining, I guess, watching Oklahoma games as soon as they get that first bad pass interference penalty called against them. He's going to go berserk. So, I, I listen, I think Oklahoma panicked a little bit. I think they saw a lot of other big names being gobbled up, and they panicked and ran, went running back to an old defensive coordinator – who is a, a fantastic coach. Don't get me wrong. I just, I don't know. Maybe they should have waited because now Joe Brady's available after being fired from the Carolina Panthers over the weekend for some reason. There might be a little bit more to that, though, in positioning for a job coming up here real soon. We'll talk about that coming up in hour number two. The Dean's List and the Dunce List is next. We're going to have Matt Moreno on from Go AZ Cats at 8.30. Still a whole lot more to talk about here in hour number two of the Jeff Dean Show. Quick turnaround, just a quick little two-minute break. We'll be right back. You come on right back right here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Casino Del Sol Studio, the soul of Tucson. This is ESPN Tucson. KFFN Tucson. KWCX Tank of Verde. KMXZ HD4 Tucson. 